0: Good afternoon everyone, Um, my name is Annalisa Quinn from the Alumni Association of the Institute of World Politics. Um, The Institute of World Politics is a graduate school of national security and international affairs dedicated to developing leaders with a sound understanding of international realities and the ethical conduct of statecraft based on knowledge and appreciation of the founding principles of the American political economy and the Western moral tradition. To let everyone know, this event is on the record. This event is sponsored by the uh, IWP Alumni Association. Um, And about this lecture, it will be presented by retired CIA scientific intelligence officer Jean Poteet, and he will discuss women in espionage with a focus on American women spies. Jean Poteet is a retired senior CIA scientific officer and he has served as the president of the Association of Former Intelligence Officers. He was educated as an electrical engineer and physicist. He holds a master's in science and state and national security affairs from IAWP. His career in intelligence included work with the U-2 and the SR-71 class of aircraft and various space and naval reconnaissance systems. He also managed the CIA's worldwide network of monitoring sites. He holds patents in covert communication techniques as well. His CIA assignments included the Director of Science and Technology, the National Reconnaissance Office, Technical Director of the Navy Special Programs Office, and Executive Director of the Intelligence Research and Development Council. He served abroad in London, Scandinavia, the Middle East, and Asia. He received the CIA's Medal of Merit and the National Reconnaissance Office. Office's Meritus Civilian Award for his Technological Innovations. Um, If you could all uh, join me in welcoming him him to speak this afternoon. So.
1: I want to be sure I can be heard in the back. Is it okay? Great. That first slide you see up there, there's a story there. There's four messages that come through loud and clear. First of all, the James Bond series says that the British intelligence is superior intelligence service in the world. The second message that you see there is that, uh, the women have no role except to be a sex object in the intelligence business. The third message, <coughs> sorry about that. I was afraid of that. Now back to where we are. The, uh, the women have no role, the third message is that every time a CIA man is depicted in a James Bond movie, he looks like a used car salesman and talks like one. But the fourth message is that intelligence is a dangerous business. And many people don't believe that women have the fortitude or the ability to face the dangerous and risky environment at all. But I want to try to set that record straight. And I think you'll be surprised at what you're going to hear today. Now, get rid of that. (laughs) You know the stories from the Bible that said that Moses wanted to go into the promised land. But what he did first was a very wise decision. He sent his spies into the land of Canaan to case the joint and see if it was as advertised. They'd heard it was a land of milk and honey and so on. They sent 12 spies into Canaan and they came back with good news, bad news. And they reported, not to Moses directly, but they reported to the Congress that all the tribes of Israel were there in a large auditorium sort of place. And uh, the spies said three things. They said, it is indeed a wonderful place. We would like to be our homeland. Uh, It is a land full of milk and honey. It's wonderful. Everything is great about it. But there's one problem. The people are strong, and they'll put up a good fight. It's going to be a tough invasion for us. Well, the audience voted to, to kill the spies. They didn't like the messenger or his message, so they decided the best thing is to get rid of the uh, the messenger. Now the result of that was that they did not go into the land of Canaan. They had to spend 40 more years wandering in the desert. So that's, if you want to make some progress and get something done, you might better leave the Congress out of it. (laughs) Well, but let's go to the beginning. There you have the first, there's an old story that says (coughs) spying is the second oldest profession. Well, let's clarify that record again. First of all, what you see here is Forty years later, Joshua decided he would lead the tribes of Israel into the promised land. But what he did was the first thing, um, Joshua sent only two spies. He never identified them by name. And he said, you report to me only, not to anyone else. So the two spies went into the Jericho, and they entered the wall there, and they, they spent the first night in the house of a harlot named Rahab. So the, and, uh, the idea was that uh, the first spies were, as, were women as much as the men, but I thought we ought to get that straight right away. Where's our audio-visual man, it's not, it's not working. I can not advance the slide. I want to use these. Oh, you were right clicked this way. There you go. So you were just right clicked. I don't I don't want that. I want just Alright, you can do that too, sir. All right. I'll try it. The electronic digital age. There's a curse that we all have to face. But uh, it turns out that in the Bible stories, it's mostly about women spies to start with. You'll notice that uh, uh, after after that, we all know the story of Samson and Delilah. It was the woman spy, Delilah, that was able to extract the secrets from Samson, and that's not news to any of us. But also throughout the Bible stories in the early days, uh, women spies were known as Jezebels. And it's been that way throughout history. Jezebel refers to a woman who's trying to conniving and extract secrets from men. But what we want to talk about today, I want to talk mostly about American women spies and let's see what we think about their ability. At the end of the American Revolutionary War, after Washington and his ragtag rebels had defeated the world's largest empire of the day, at the end of that war, uh, Major Begwith, who was the head of British intelligence, reported to the press in, in New York and later in London he said, Washington did not out in his ragtag rebels, did not out fight we British. He won the war by simply out spying us. He gave credit for the winning of the American Revolution to Washington's superior eye operations. So that's a good message there. But it's interesting to know one of the most important aspects of that war. It turned out interestingly that Washington. Had captured the head of British intelligence and had him in his hands. Major John Andre was the head of British intelligence, and Washington had captured him. But how did he know to do that? Well, it turns out it was quite interesting. John Andre was on his way up the Hudson River to uh, meet with Benedict Arnold, the traitor, who was compromising the West Point uh, fort up there. Well, on the way up the river, John Andre was captured by three of Washington's uh, Patriot uh, soldiers. The first thing they said to Andre when they called him is, take off your left boot. And he said, really? And they reached into the left boot and pulled out the secret plans. They knew enough about John Andre and where he had the, the, the maps and his secret plans to compromise West Point. Well that was quite an accomplishment to have that kind of spy operation. Nonetheless, the British knew clearly that there had to be a spy. Washington must have had a spy in their ranks that knew everything they were doing and planning. So they did a dragnet and they picked up all the possible suspects that might even have known John Andre and and inside the British headquarters in New York City. Well, Agent 355 was Washington's principal, one of his principal spies. And she was collected in that dragnet, and she was uh, put on a British uh, prison ship in New York Harbor, along with all the other possible suspects. I may add that she died on that prison ship from abuse and illness and so on. But to this day, No one has ever identified who Agent 355 was. That was a secret that's been kept to this day. All the other spies that worked for Washington had their names eventually outed, and the public is able to read about all of those Washington spies, but not Agent 355. All right, where's our? N- I'm going. You're going to have to. Uh, well, you can round up the fellow to come fix this slide. But you, it's looking okay there. Hang on a second. That, that's looking okay now. Maybe it's going to work. It doesn't show here. That's that's all right. It's it's okay for now. It's a projecting sign. In the War of 1812, now the first thing that Americans do after every war, we close up shop, we bring the boys home, we forget about it, anything else. But uh, the American intelligence died at the end of that American Revolutionary War with George Washington. The War of 1812 came about as a continuation of the Revolutionary War. Britain never gave up the idea that they would give up the colonies so they tried again and the British were winning the war of 1812 and we had no intelligence service at all we lucked out you won't believe this but the French came to our rescue Napoleon began to invade Europe and he was threatening England so They had to pull the the, uh, British troops back to Europe and they pulled out of the War of 1812. So you can say then that Napoleon, or therefore the French, helped save America the second time. After the War of 1812, we had the War of uh, the Spanish-American, I'm sorry, the the Mexican War, and we had no spies again during that war. during the uh, Mexican War, we had no spies. But during that war, the uh, it was decided we needed a spy operation. So guess what we did? We hired Mexicans to spy on Mexicans, and it was known as the Mexican Spy Company. And you can imagine about how effective is that operation was going to be. But nonetheless. Uh, the US promised the Mexicans, if you will, if you will support us uh, in that war, we will give you US citizenship. And at the end of the war, although there was no spying, we honored our, made our, honored our promise, and that was the first wave of Mexicans that uh, immigrated to the United States. They all settled in New Orleans, by the way. They were followed by a lot of other folks. The uh, beginning of the American Civil War or the war between the states, depending upon your point of view of those wars. Nonetheless, uh, there were no spy operations on either the North or South. However, women were treated differently in those days and they were allowed, women couldn't possibly know anything about man's war or the technology or anything else, and they were viewed as uneducated and so on. So they could wander across the enemy lines, north and south, and without being questioned at all. So there were quite a few of the women that volunteered to be spies during the uh, war between the states. But you see the first Confederate spy here on the slide, uh, Rose O'Neill Greenhouse, was the socialite here in Washington, D.C. And what she did was she collected information uh, on the Union Army based in Washington, D.C., and she passed it on to the Confederate Army in Richmond. She had a spy network operating, but everybody in town knew that Ms. Greenhow was spying for the Confederacy, and they decided they better put her in jail to slow it down. But it didn't work. She continued to uh, pass out messages to her spy network out the windows of the jail. And you see on the slide there some of the secret encoding that was done at the time. But what really happened was the Confederate Army at Bull Run, just south of here, when the Union Army moved to the first main battle of of that war, they were soundly defeated at Bull Run by the Confederate army because the federal the Confederate army had all the intimate details of the Union army and their effort what really happened was that general McClellan the head of the Union army at the time was so set back by the uh, his loss at the battle of Bull Run he didn't want to engage the war any further so he pulled the Union army way and back And they, he wouldn't fight anymore. And it took Abraham Lincoln finally to replace McClellan and get someone in the army that would fight. And, but interestingly, uh, Rosa Neal Greenhouse did a good job of supporting the Confederacy. And so the Union Army had a a, a spy trade. They traded her for some Union soldiers. And uh, they sent Rosa Neal Greenhouse south to Richmond. Well, the Richmond was very grateful, Miss Greenhow. so what they did was they sent her off and dispatched her to England and France to raise money for the Confederacy. Now again, England is still trying to break up the United States. They're happy to support the south with money and so on to keep, you know, try to break up that, that rebel from that revolutionary war. Nonetheless, uh, Miss Greenhall was wound and dined, and she collected a lot of gold coins from both uh, England and France. Then she boarded a ship to come back to the United States in order to uh, contribute the money, the gold that she had collected, to the Southern uh, cause. But she was on a, a, a ship that had to get through, that ran aground in North Carolina trying to keep away from the other union army ships that were blockading the harbor and the ship ran aground but she was so eager to get off the ship she told the captain i want you to put me ashore in a lifeboat and he said ma'am the the water is too rough it's dangerous you wait until the water the weather comes and then we'll p-. she said no i got to go now so they put her in a small lifeboat and they were rowing ashore when the boat capsized and miss Greenhow fell overboard and was drowned. But what pulled her down to the bottom of the, the water was all that gold she had sewn in her heavy skirts. Well, eventually, her body washed ashore and a Confederate soldier uh, came across the body. And of course, he, uh, with all that gold in, in her skirts, he collected the gold. But when he found out who it was, it, it was Ms. Greenhow, he went ahead and uh, returned the. The money back to the uh, confederacy and every year uh, there's a, the daughters of the confederacy go down to the place where she washed ashore and, and annually and they they have a little celebration drink champagne raise a toast to Rose O'Neill Greenow. probably the most well-known uh, spy during the confederate in the in the war between the states was Belle Boyd uh, Bell Boyd had a network of young women spying in the uh, valley near just south of here, around toward Front Royal, and th- she was very successful in collecting all of the army, the information from the Union Army, such as the, you know, how many troops they had and where they were deployed, uh, and she was very successful. However, uh, after a while, uh, she was caught, and she was returned to Washington and jailed to keep her out of the spy business, but Lincoln was so taken by her exploits and he said her beauty and he pardoned Bell Boyd and freed her. Now, you've heard about the successful Southern Confederate women spies, now let's balance the equation here. Uh, Lisbeth Van Loo was a woman spy in Richmond, Virginia, spying for the Union Army. She was probably the most successful woman spy the Union had. As a matter of fact, she had a cover. She pretended to be crazy and she wandered around through the Confederate ranks, through the prison camps and the Confederate Army collecting intelligence and she would provide that intelligence through a network and get it back into uh, the Union Army in Washington, D.C. She also could take all the Union prisoners of war and help them escape through a network to get back to the north. On the left, in the slide, you see the part of her network of, to extract and get the, the soldiers back to the north. Um, at the end of the war, they wanted to reward uh, Ms. Van Loo for her wonderful spying in support of the Union Army. So they made her the postmaster of Richmond, Virginia. But then the uh, the Richmond population refused to go to the post office anymore. But nonetheless, uh, when she finally uh, uh, died at her funeral, many, many years later, a few Union soldiers or their families showed up at her funeral. One of the most interesting women spies, I think, in the entire Civil War was a woman named Ms. E.H. Baker. Ms. E.H. Baker, before the Civil War, she lived in Richmond, Virginia, and had many Southern friends. Then when the war started, she moved to Chicago. But Alan Pinkerton, who was um, Lincoln's counterintelligence expert, came up with an idea uh, to use Ms. Baker. What he did was he asked Ms. Baker to come back south to Richmond and and conduct a special spy operation for Alan Pinkerton. The south, by the way, was getting desperate because of the blockades of their harbors and they had, uh, the south was coming up with techniques to break the blockade. They were coming up with special underwater sea craft that could approach a Union ship in the harbor and put an explosive charge on it and sink the ship. So it was called the first attempt at something called the submarine. But it was very crude, but they didn't know the details. So Alan Pinkerton asked Miss Baker to come back to Richmond and and get the secrets about this Confederate uh, development of submarines. She came back and met her friends in uh, Richmond, and uh, then she asked if she could go see Mr. Uh, Atwood, who was the builder of this secret secret weapon the Confederate had called the submarine. Well, they escorted her into the factory called the Iron Works and let her see the development of the secret weapon the South had. Well, it was nothing more than a green-colored raft and the men would hide underneath the raft and with their explosive charge, and they would breathe through air tubes sticking up above the water. So when they were trying to do that, as they approached a Union ship in the harbor, since they had been warned by Mrs. Baker what the weapon was, they simply leaned over with hooks and pulled the air tubes away. So that ended that operation. But nonetheless, uh, the the idea was women don't know anything about technology. Well, she knew more about technology than developers of that particular submarine. Emma Edmonds was a master of disguise. She was a a woman who uh, was adventuresome and she volunteered to spy for the Union Army. And she disguised herself as a man and as a male nurse and she got a job working in the southern uh, uh, confederate hospitals as a spy so she was providing all the information about the problems with the Confederate Army uh, dressed as a nurse man but she kept changing her disguise and moving on further south she eventually uh, disguised herself as a black man and she put a wig on her head, she took silver nitrate on her skin, and she darkened her skin, and then so she moved around through the southern ranks freely, and was uh, uh, collecting intelligence information and getting it back to the Union Army. However, she was in a southern camp, uh, getting all the details about the southern army, and she had stolen a horse to escape back north. She had the horse shot out from under her, but nonetheless, she was quite a daring lady, and she did safely get back to the Union Army. She was originally from Canada, and after the war, she retired back to Canada and wrote a book about her exploits. And uh, she said, well, she just loved adventure. That explained that. Pauline Cushman was another uh, spy for the Union Army. She had been on the stage, uh, and uh, she was so successful at spying for the uh, uh, the Union Army, they gave her an honorary rank of Miss Major Cushman. She died, by the way, around 19, 1896 at the age of 86. And she was buried in a military cemetery in California, but she was known as... And you can see her with her honorary major's uniform on the right. Uh, Well, whatever turns you on, I guess. During the, again, uh, we had no formal intelligence service, but during the next war, uh, which was the Spanish-American War in the 1890s, we had, again, no intelligence service. The only secret that the U.S. had they were concerned about was when, Uh, Roosevelt and his Rough Riders were going to debark from Tampa, Florida and invade Cuba so they could run up San Juan Hill. What actually happened, however, was they were afraid that there could be Spanish spies during the Spanish-American War in the Tampa, Florida area. So what they did was the uh, head of the army in Tampa went over to Ybor City, which is where all the Cuban cigar, rollers live and that's just to the east of Tampa Florida well the head of the army went to the postmaster and he asked the postmaster in Ybor City "Uh, "Do you have anyone in Ybor City that knows the Spanish community very well that we can have we can hire is our counterintelligence agency to check Ybor and see if there are any Spanish spies there well Mr. Bean said to the colonel, I'm sorry, uh, the only person that knows everybody in Ybor City and can speak pretty good Spanish is my daughter, Mabel Bean, 16 years of age. So the, the uh, army hired Mabel Bean as their counterintelligence agent during the Spanish-American War. And Mabel got on her bicycle and she rode around through the city asking her friends and the Cubans Are there any strangers asking questions? So that was the extent of the skill. But uh, there was never a photograph of Mabel Bean, but 40 years later, there was one photograph of Mabel Bean when she was about 40 years of age. And the picture on the right uh, shows Mabel Bean uh, 40 years after the war. Now, what we've all been waiting on, and we know the, be- the, the best known woman spy in history was Matahari. Now, Matahari was a Dutch woman, uh, Marguerite Gertruda Zella. She was the wife of a Dutch army officer based in Dutch Indochina. And she was so bored as the life of a military wife, she learned those exotic dances of Java, that were performed by the natives in that part of the country. She was good at it so she decided to leave her husband she came back to Europe and she set herself up as an exotic stage dancer and uh, during World War I she performed on stage in Paris for both the French army generals and also the German army people. Now each each side thought she was spying for the other side. The French were convinced she was spying for the Germans. Germans were convinced she was spying for the French. Not true. She was not a spy at all. But uh, she felt she was suspicious. Now in those days you didn't see a lot of skin. Uh, I've got a couple. I, I'm, you want to see another picture? There's another picture of uh, Mata Hari. But finally, the French were losing the war and not doing very well. They decided, they thought they would, they would explain their poor performance, so they blamed Matahari as being a German spy in their ranks. She was not a spy, but nonetheless, they had a show trial with no evidence and sentenced her to be executed. They uh, put her in jail, and finally, they led her out, led her out to the courtyard at crack of dawn And they said, that was a firing squad. She did not believe they were really going to execute her at all. They offered her a blindfold. She said no, and she stared the, the men with the rifle, looked them in the eye. But suddenly, they fired, and she did, in fact, slump to the ground. But the head of the French firing squad took his pistol out because she was still twitching on the ground. He walked up and administered the coup de grace to be sure she was dead. There was another case where an innocent woman was convicted of being a spy. But a a nurse named uh, uh, Edith Cavill was a British nurse in uh, Belgium during the war. And she was helping wounded soldiers uh, survive in her clinic and or if they were healthy to escape back to England so the Germans captured her uh, and convicted her as a spy and executed uh, Miss Cavill. Now, interesting, all the spying in World War I takes place inside the United States. The Germans are here trying to keep us out of the war, and the British are in the U.S. trying to get us into the war on their side. Didn't take long where the British won that uh, big, uh, uh, battle inside the US. But the British did two things to ensure we got into the war. They went to Hollywood in 1918 and they made a movie about Miss Cavill and the movie was then called, the nurse that the Germans executed. And that so infuriated the American public that had to see this movie that helped sway it over to the uh, joined the army on the side of the British. Now, there was also the fact that they, they sank the American ship called Lusitania with all the people on board, and torpedoed it with German submarine, and also the Zimmermann telegram that you, most of you I'm sure know about. So that was done. So that we got into the war. But at the time, we had no intelligence yet. The United States didn't have it. The British tried to convince uh, Woodrow Wilson we need to be uh, having an uh, intelligence service. Woodrow Wilson said, we don't need intelligence. If we do, uh, we can get it from our allies, the French. Well, Congress didn't like the idea at the time. And here again, we get back to what Congress can do for you. Congress passed a law after World War I that made it illegal for any American to intercept any communications, including that of the enemy. It was called the Communications Act of 1934. Uh, at the same time, uh, the Secretary of State, made, Henry Stimson, made a famous statement, gentlemen don't read each other's mail. And then that, with that law, it became illegal to listen in on your enemy. However, our Army and Navy broke the law and continued to master the art of intercepting communications and the code breaking that goes with it." One of the, There were several great code breakers that emerged at the time and uh, during a prohibition. Uh, as a matter of fact, the rum runners were using radios and and encryption to communicate during those early days. The Coast Guard could not read their uh, communications, so they uh, brought in a code breaker. They wanted Bill Friedman, who was the world's greatest code breaker. Bill said, I'm busy, but my wife can do it for you. So his wife, Elizabeth Friedman, came in and she broke the, the Rum Runners codes in about two days. And uh, that ended uh, that phase. But it's interesting that one of the wealthiest rum runners was Joe Kennedy. And he had already stopped it because it made enough money. And we know what Joe Kennedy did with his money later on. Between World War I and II, we had no more, in- we had no intelligence. But a volunteer named Mar- Marguerite Harrison was a reporter that volunteered to spy for the U.S. She went to Germany. She went to Russia. She was the only source of intelligence we had during that interwar period, and uh, so she was finally captured by the Russians and put in a prison, but it was the President Woodrow Wilson that made a statement to the head of the Russian communist in those early days, you let those people out of prison or we will stop providing you the food that keeps Russia alive in those early days. We have a habit, it seems, of always uh, putting money into bad causes. During World War II, the U.S. was saved by being able to have broken the Japanese naval codes. As a matter of fact, we lost our navy. We only had a few aircraft carriers left. and. Uh, At that one battle, however, the Japanese fleet was superior to the U.S. fleet, and it was decided that uh, they wanted to finish off the American fleet at the famous Battle of Midway. However, the Navy had been able to break the Japanese codes and they won the battle and turned the tide of the war. Had we lost that battle, as expected, that the U.S. would have had to have an accommodation with the Japanese as much on their terms as ours. But guess who taught the Navy how to break those codes, Japanese codes? It was a woman named Agnes Driscoll. Agnes Driscoll was a mathematical genius that was hired into the Navy and then eventually into the NSA. And she was one that taught the Navy how to break the Japanese codes. I'm going to have to pick up the pace a little bit here for you. Uh, but probably the most fascinating and interesting spy story of, any, of anyone was conducted by Amy Thorpe. She was an American woman that came to uh, Washington during World War II. She was trained by the FBI to be... Uh, a safe cracker, and they, they asked her to get the secret code books from two sources, get the secret code books from the Italian embassy so we can re- copy the code book and then go into the French embassy and uh, Vichy French embassy and get the code books from there. Well, she arranged to meet a Frenchman at those days, and she became his lover. And in Washington, D.C., during World War II, there's no place for a young couple to even go for any quiet time at all. But they came up with the idea they could do it in the, the French Embassy. So the lovers would came into the French Embassy after hours, and they would give a bottle of champagne to the guard at the door that night, and then they would go in and, and she had been trained to open the safe by the FBI. She went back with her, her lover. Uh, she opened the safe successfully. She went to the window, raised the window, and handed out the code books to the FBI agent on the ladder. He ran across the street and uh, copied, made photographs, of the code, brought them back up the ladder and handed them to her. And as she was shoving the code books back into the the uh, safe, the guard got suspicious. He wanted to know what's going on back there. So he was walking back uh, to the uh, area uh, and they heard him coming down the hallway. The safe had not yet been closed and locked. She immediately ripped off her blouse and she embraced the Frenchman and the guard looked in and he said, ah, c'est l'amour. Then he went back. She locked the safe and that That operation allowed the Americans in the Mediterranean to successfully avoid being uh, captured or caught up with the the French and Italian navies. The bravest woman ever was Virginia Hall. She was an OSS woman agent that was put behind the lines in France. And she had a a number of uh, successful operations. She had a transmitter which you see on the right and she would broadcast her secrets out very quickly to England and then run because the Germans were trying to catch her and they would listen to her signal and take a direction, find it, but she would be quick and she'd be gone again. as She was disguised as a, as a milkmaid and she had a limp and the Germans said she's the most important spy, we've got to capture in Europe. She successfully escaped them and after the war she was given the highest award you can have uh, below the Medal of Honor. Here's a picture on the left of her getting her medal. She later, she joined the CIA when the CIA was formed later on and I was privileged to have heard one of her lectures there in the early days. The the problem that she had with her transmission, there was an industrialist in Hollywood, California. The industrialist was telling uh, his friend, Hedy Lamarr, who's known as the most beautiful actress in those days in Hollywood, about the, the problems that uh, the transmitters had in those days. And Hedy Lamar was sitting at her piano and she said, you mean to tell me they broadcast constantly on the same frequency? She hit the metal C on the keyboard like this, and they said, well, yes. She said, that's idiotic. Why don't you keep changing the frequency? She would hit different piano keys. Well, the long and short of it is they got a patent on it. The, 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 the new technique communications, that cannot be direction found. For those people in the audience who know about technology, it's called frequency jump or frequency hop, and later on, spread spectrum. The uh, OSS was full of women spies, and the most successful ones here. You recognize some of the faces on the left: the French chef, uh, Marlena Dietrich, and so on. Uh, the point is their women spies were the most useful of spies compared to the men. We all know the story of Aldrich Ames, the traitor in the CIA ranks. Uh, For five years he was the biggest traitor we had doing the most damage against US spy operation. However, the CIA had given up hope of finding the traitor in their ranks, but Two women kept it up, and they are the ones that found finally identified old James. The primary person behind capturing on uh, him was, was uh, uh, Sandy Grimes on the lower left. Uh, she is the one that, that gets, should have the credit for that. Uh, another woman spy was Martha Peterson. She was the spy in Moscow. In the dead of winter, she was asked to go out to service a dead drop. That means pull a brick out of a brick wall, take a message out and put one in and put the brick back in. That's the dead drop. Well, she was captured that night, and what you see here, she had diplomatic immunity and was finally freed. But what the KGB here is grabbing her, they're not feeling her up. They're grabbing her arms because the technique is to grab the arms first in case they have a cyanide pill and are going to commit suicide. So you grab their arms to keep them from doing anything uh, with their arms. Martha Peterson is retired recently from the CIA. She lives down in North Carolina. My wonderful woman. Uh, Shortly we have... We have American traitors. Uh, we don't call, there's a difference between a spy and a traitor. A spy works for his own country. A traitor works for the enemy. That's the difference. So we had some traitors and uh, Anna Montez was the woman working for the Defense Intelligence Agency that was spying for Castro. She's been in jail now 25 years. She's coming up on age 60 and she'll be freed very shortly. <laughs> this one will blow your mind. Two FBI agents were sleeping with one Chinese woman spy. Uh, it's amazing, Katrina Leong. And uh, they would leave their briefcases open where she could steal the secrets while they were in the bedroom. Uh, they got caught, of course, and finally they were severely punished. They had their uh, r- wrists slapped. The late news, which you'll all recognize, is the fact that the Russians, the Russians spend maybe 10 years before they activate a spy. They bring in a spy to become well-known in the community, to be real American citizens with a history that can be traced before they activate them, to do spying. Uh, Anna Chapman and her spy network had been here 10 years and they were about to be activated to go spy when the FBI finally got tired of chasing them and they sent them all back to Russia. Uh, as you can, you can see, Anna might have been fairly successful. I keep asking, where, where were these wi- women when I was there? <laughs> Training is what makes anything work in the spy business. It takes extensive training. Uh, There's an extensive, a lot of uh, movies made about spies, uh, mostly about men. But I'd like to bring you up to date. I'd like to let you know. Here's some statistics I got from the CIA. Nearly half of the CIA's workforce are women. They, I have the actual numbers. I have, I'm going to skip that, we got to move on, but nonetheless, there are key people in the uh, intelligence community are are women spies. Uh, Now, you've heard some of the stories, you have to decide yourself whether uh, women are up to the job or not, I think you know the answer to that now. I think I better give you a break and ask if you have any questions. I'll be glad to entertain them. I had to move fairly quick through it. But uh, if you have questions, let me know. You can raise your hand or you can. Here's a man with a microphone. I think we covered it very well. (laughs) Is there one back there? Well, here's one right here.
0: Um, This is. Oh, me? Okay. This is just a fun question for you. Do you have a favorite spy movie? Do you have a favorite spy movie? If you have a favorite, favorite spy movie. What?
1: movie? A Do not go to see James Bond movies and expect any of, anything there that's worth any while. Uh, There is a a movie, I've got the name. Matter of fact, I have the names of them here for you. If you would like, I'll be glad to give you copies of them. Uh, There was a movie about Valerie. Well, let, let let me cut to the chase. The movie about the capture of Osama bin Laden, you remember that, where the SEAL Team six boys went in There's a movie about that, Zero Dark Thirty. I think that's the best for a reason. It was two women that ran that operation and identified and located Osama Bin Laden. And I think the movie about that would be uh, strongly recommended.
0: I wanted to ask how you got interested in this topic. It's clearly a labor of love.
1: (laughs) I got interested in the topic. First of all, uh, I'm just an electrical engineer and physicist. I was recruited by the CIA out of Cape Canaveral uh, when I was working there in the 1950s. But uh, I I was very lucky uh, as an engineer and physicist I ended up working on, as the, maybe the introduction covered that, I worked on things like the U-2, the SR-71 Blackbird, and all the spy satellites. But in the early days of uh, computers, we, we did all that work with slide rules, by the way. And that's what it was like before computers. But when it began to emerge that computers were, uh, could do things that we could not do with a slide room. It turned out that there was one expert, It was a young woman, uh, her first name was Diane, and she was the only computer expert in the agency at the time. And it turned out everybody wanted to talk to Diane about how can we get into, uh, become computer experts. And I think that started it. And then, of course, I'm uh, I'm not a sexist because I have, two daughters, (laughs) Uh, highly technical, both of them. But nonetheless, uh, as I began to work, I discovered several things over my career, and I I watched the transition. Women were only used as secretaries in the CIA in the early days. That was it, except for Diane, who was a unique young woman. Uh, When I met her, she had a leg in a cast. She'd been skiing accident, but nonetheless, I realized there were smart women in the CI, very, very smart, and, uh, but eventually over time I, I knew two special operations that had women were key to it. So over time I finally decided that uh, the more I began to look into it I discovered there are more and more women that are in the spy business and they kept growing. So uh, I grew up with them you might say and I'm happy to have found this topic. It turns out when I've got more time, it's a, it's a winning subject, I might add. I'll hang around. I have two things. I have, a, I have a number of business cards here. It turns out if you're interested in the subject at all, uh, I would, I have my card here. There's an association called AFIO. The Association of Former Intelligence Officers got a website and it produces a lot of valuable information uh, weekly. They produce a technical journal ranked as the highest, best journal on the subject of espionage in print. It comes out quarterly and there's a few copies right here in, in the IWP. I might also add if you have, If you're interested in a career in intelligence or the CIA, or you have daughters or grandkids interested, uh, there's a special booklet published by this association called Careers in Intelligence. Are you right for it or are they right for you? It tells you all you need to know about careers for women in intelligence It's outside. Please take one home with you.